direction when I groove to it. I'm the humble producer, director, and cameraman, Jasper DeWitt II. Don't Writer and director, Jingle Love. And I'm beat maker, producer, Doc Freeman. Welcome to Reels and Welcome. Hello. Hello. Mozin. Yay. Mozin, we finally got you. Welcome. Thank you for joining us. All right. Fantastic. Well, sorry about that. Uh, no, no, it's not your our first international, you know, plus, you know, anything outside the U.S. So you are fine. It's all over. Welcome <laughs> to Reels and Popcorn. Yes, welcome. Well, thanks for having me. Well, I am Jingle Love. Nice to meet you. Uh, yes, yes, you know who I am. I'm Jasper with the second. Jasper second. <laughs> yes, yeah. sir. And I'm uh, Doc Freeman. Pleasure to meet you, sir. This is mine. Let me tell you, we have been excited about your interview. You're ready for us, but the excitement, we're going to try to contain ourselves and be professional, but I just want you to know. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, that's great to hear. Absolutely. The excitement is at an all-time high. <laughs> Absolutely. And for, and for those that are listening to this podcast, we have a guest that is very, very uh, special. His name is uh, Mosin Musavi. He is... One of the brains that's lots of movies. Of course, y'all know Game of Thrones. He's one of the visual super, visual yes. effects supervisors for that. Uh, his IMDb is full of uh, San Andreas. He's that. Some of the Avenger films. His uh, production company that he works with, Skyline, is that. Uh, the list just goes on. Ozen, uh, it's just an honor to have you. Thanks for having me. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Um, I want to say overall, you know, before we even get into a big interview with you, let's just let's just let this be known. This guy has an academy. It works with a works with. I can't even speak. This guy worked on a production that has an academy award, and I just and I just want to first off say congrats to you for your hard work with that. Yes, sir. Uh, that is just a big thing, but I, I just want to say, I just want to ask you, man, what does that feel like <laughs> to, have, you know, to, to have that under your belt, man? <laughs> well, it is, it is very exciting. I mean, the reality is that when you start doing the work, you're not really doing it to get the award. That's not the purpose, but uh, you spend a lot of time, you work with a lot of people and you go through a lot of, lot of trouble <laughs> to make that work. And uh, it's definitely, definitely a good thing to be recognized and also to be recognized for the work on Game of Thrones. I mean, getting an Emmy is one thing, but I guess getting it for the final season of Game of Thrones, it is, it's a whole different thing. <laughs> so yes, we're very, very pleased uh, to be able to be there and receive that Emmy. Absolutely. Oh, man. I'll tell you this. Um, so Jingle, she's a she's a Thrones fanatic, and I, and uh, and, and I'm, uh, you know, I've this whole week I was binging on Game of Thrones, kind of see some of your work and the things that has gone through that. You know, um, I saw in one of the behind the scenes stories that there was over 24, 25 people working, you know, on some of the sets for visuals. And I know you're a visual effect supervisor. What what is that atmosphere like? You know, on a season for Game of Thrones. What is it like? You know, working on uh, Game of Thrones, again, it is it is obviously the, the most anticipated, it was the most anticipated um, 
three episodes and probably in the history of TV. So the pressure is high. The pressure is high because you know that uh, there is absolutely no room to fail in any level and everything has to be as perfect as possible. I mean, what you really say with every pixel to be perfect, this is not exaggerated. I would spend so much time with the team working on literally every aspect, every pixel, every set, every shot. And, uh, you know, interesting part is that when you work on a project of that level, you, you're lucky because what happens is that uh, the team is so excited. That's okay. We, we can edit that part out. Um, last thing you said was the team was so excited. Oh, I'm <laughs> yeah, I'm still here. So, you know, they were very excited and visual effects industry is, a, is an extremely challenging industry. You know, you do a lot of hours, a lot of weekend. But when you have something like this in the work, then it's really hard to get people to go home. Because <laughs> you, you will, we, we had scenarios where we would approve a shot and we would literally say it's, it's approved by HBO. This is out, like classically speaking. It's printed on film, you know, <laughs> let's put it that way. But people would come on weekend, you know, people would come on the weekend and they would continue working on those shots and to make them better. So Monday they would show up and say, hey, I have an updated version. And, you know, I've done all of this on top. And this, you know, went over and over and over. And it was really hard to get them to stop working on the shots. <laughs> and because it's such a, no, I mean, I still am a fan and just, watch all the episodes because uh, the, everything looks so real to me. I really want to touch on season dragons were in the sky and it was um, Bastard Child gone and they were on their dragons in the sky with the clouds. How? How did we even get questions about that because it's just like what goes what's the process you go through even if you go through the perfection phase where you're like sat down at a table and said okay we're going to it's going to be dragons a certain way we want to give this type of feeling what how is sitting down at the table how, how do you exchange ideas and then come with the final one do you vote on it or like what yeah, so, you know, I, I must say that, um, you know, we as a Scanline, we worked on the, on the final three episodes of Game of Thrones. And I think the sequence that you're referring to was in the episode one. And that was done by a different company, colleagues of mine at Image Engine, also in Vancouver. <laughs> Excuse me. But I can talk about similar shots, similar uh, sequences in episode five, where Danny is uh, flying over the King's Landing and, you know, Attacks all of that. So the process is that the process is that we go through an initial stage of doing some something called pre-visualization, which on Game of Thrones globally was done uh, on a company with, uh, with a company called Third Floor. So they go through a process to do a very quick animatic. It's a very, very basically uh, sort of rough version of the shot. And, you know, that we, we do that for the entire sequence. And once we sort of have a rough understanding of what are the camera angles? You know, what is the pacing and what is going on in every shot? And again, that is done on a, on a process where you do a lot of iteration to sort of figure out the movie. That's really what it is. Once you have that, then 
we had a motion controlled hydraulic arm that had something that we call the buck was basically into the back of the dragon where Danny would sit on. So then we would take all of this information from this previous, from this animatic, from this very rough version of the shot, we would take all of this information and that would become a recipe for this machine and the camera. So imagine the machine and the camera are both controlled with a, a robot, if you will, and they can 100% replicate what, what is in the computer. So you're looking at the computer, you sort of see a, a pre-visualization version of that, which is fully digital, even Dan is digital, and then you can replicate that almost one-to-one -one on the set with the Bose hydraulic arm that, that Dan is sitting on and the camera itself. And once you have that, you basically go back to visual effects, you track all of this, you literally track all of this, and you can replace that buck where Dan is sitting on with a dragon. And obviously a lot of other work that goes into it to, to make all of that look for the real. Right, because the dragon is breathing. Like moving as she's getting on top of it, it's like so, especially the part that you spoke of, go to King's Landing, and she just burns everything with the <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that was just, right. That was just epic for me. I was like, she burnt. That was just, yeah, you don't want to know how I was, but <laughs> you also, um, um, your company Scanline is also before Spider-Man, a Spider-Man movie, yes? That is right, that is right. We were, we were working on that in parallel with Game of Thrones, so another team was working on that, yes. <coughs> Excuse me. So when you have, uh, that are working, like you were working on Games of Thrones, especially those episodes in season, do you guys kind of cross over because you have such big projects? Is there someone that works with? You're working on Game of Thrones for a minute, a crossover to another one, or are you always just assigned that one to the projects complete? Right. So Scanline, Scanline Visual Effects, we have about 700 employees. And you know, usually at a time, we work on, you know, depends, two to three large projects at a time. And every okay. project could uh, sort of have maybe a third of the team. So Game of Thrones, we've been over 320 artists that work globally, at least with my projects. And at the same time, we were working on Spider-Man, which um, in terms of shot count was less than Game of Thrones. I think we delivered about 750 shots in Game of Thrones and um, Spider-Man was maybe around 250 or, or so. So, you know, you have completely separate teams and sometimes, sometimes in some of the, you know, disciplines, some of the departments, some of the artists get shared. You know, you, you might work on a Monday on a Spider-Man you know, if you're a modeler and you might sort of work on a prop on the Spider-Man, and then on a Tuesday, you might sort of switch to Game of Thrones and help there. Uh, but, you know, the core team, the core team is absolutely separated. You know, all the sort of department supervisors that are working on Game of Thrones, they are dedicated to that. And as well as, you know, who's working on Spider-Man, they're dedicated, dedicated to that other project. So it, it's quite a bit of a separation. Yeah. And and I actually, you know, I learned, too, that uh, there's a new um, facility that Skyline has in London now. Is that correct? That is correct. That is correct. So London uh, was opened a while, but was announced uh, officially, I believe, this Monday. And, you know, if you look at that, that actually, if you look at the, the, the news that came out, it mentions uh, the sort of a veteran producer at the Skyline called Marcus Goodman. 
Yeah. And he was my producer on Game of Thrones. He was basically uh, producing Game of Thrones. Yeah. Now he's basically leading the London office. That's right. That's very good. Here's something also I would like to ask. You know, and you know I'm uh, I do you know filmmaking. I'm a cinematographer and an editor. Just the technology, the technological advances that we've seen, you know, through you know a lot of these platforms has been phenomenal. I would like to know from your perspective, you know, like uh, from fluid visual effects, you know, from your perspective, how in your career have you seen uh, the technology advance, and how do you think it's helped you, you know, and as well as others that are doing visual effects? Oh, absolutely. So you know the key, the key to success in visual effects, especially in my position, to be able to stay in the game, is to constantly innovate. You know, I've done this for a while, and we have done a lot of projects, and you, you you never do the same thing the same way. It's never the case. You constantly. Oh, we lost for a second. Mosin, are you still there? connection hello can you hear me yep there yes. you are yes there you are okay. that's fine yeah we we can probably edit that correct <laughs> absolutely <laughs> okay so no worries then one i guess when it goes on standby my phone it just sort of maybe disconnects i'll try to make sure it doesn't go standby all right so um yeah do you repeat all of that so basically the, the the really the key in success in my position is to constantly innovate you know i have worked on a number of projects over the last 15 years and you know you never do the same thing the same way it doesn't matter if we did a full digital city on independence day or in san andreas when you get into king's landing you're not repeating this process the same way because you know everything has got got shorter, you know, the productions had, has, has got, you know, smaller in terms of the time that you have. So you need to sort of change your methodology. You need to sort of innovate and change the technology to be able to, to compete in this, in this crazy industry. So, uh, yes, technology, technology has to constantly catch up, constantly catch up. And, and I know when we start Game of Thrones, uh, obviously you're looking at a, a TV, you know, episodic program. And the budgets are not the same as when you're working on, let's say, a Marvel show. But we went through exact same process. We went through exact same thinking of how can we achieve the visuals of this level, but, you know, still work within the uh, sort of TV budget. And that needs innovation and that needs additional technology. And that needs uh, sort of cutting, uh, cutting edge thinking and forward thinking to be able to compete uh, with all of this craziness. So I think, yeah, that is really the key to constantly, constantly and constantly innovate and push the board. Absolutely. Hello? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, we were just kind of we were just kind of sucking that up, man. Um, you know, there's, uh, there's a good. like <laughs> just marveling. Yeah, you know, because because here's the deal too. You know, there's a good bit like like right now. I'm currently taking classes at Full Sail Full Sail University in Winter Park, Florida, and there's a lot of uh, students that you know go through the the visual effects uh, degree. We got a lot of gaming students. You know, a lot of people that are pursuing animation, motion graphics. <laughs> 
for you as a person that is a career veteran, uh, you mentioned it earlier, just, you know, the goal is to keep the work going up. Like, what would you say would be a, a, a thing that, you know, a, a young creative that's, you know, trying to get their foot in this career could take to the bank to be successful? What do you think that is? Absolutely. Let me tell you a story. You know, I, I, am, uh, I was born and raised in Iran. You know, I, I you know, lived in a city that uh, had, had a lot of limitation when it came to what I do today. So back in the days when I was 15 years old, and I was in Iran. If you would tell me that I'm going to work on Independence Day 2 with Roland Emmerich directly, or I'm going to sort of, you know, helm the, the final season of Game of Thrones, that would have been probably less probable than going to moon or, you know, flying to Mars. That was how <laughs> that was, you know, how far from reality that was. But, you know, I, I really worked hard. And I think the, the biggest difference when I look at myself and, you know, maybe other colleagues that I work with is, is that you, you constantly need to understand the underlying mechanism of visual effects. We have a, you know, this industry is, is 90% uh, a lot, a lot of good artists, you know, a lot of good artists that do artistry work. But unfortunately, a lot of people only, you know, what, what I call the button pushers that don't really understand the underlying techniques and the mechanism of how the work is actually done. And, you know, there's a lot of quick learning process through quick tutorials but to really, truly understand how things are working underneath. I think that is the key. I must say 15 years ago or even 10 years ago, you had to understand more. You had to be more technical to be able to do your daily work. Today, there's so many tools out there. Things have got, gotten easier to start, but it also, it also sort of encourage you less, if you will, to learn the, the things properly because you could get something that looks f phenomenal in a short amount of time, you know, with you know, a lot of presets and out-of-the-box tools. But then it sort of, again, encourages you less to, to learn the tool sets properly and really understand what is underneath. I think that makes a difference. If you have that background, if you have that understanding, then you can go up the ladder much faster. If you don't, and you're sort of relying on the surface tools and you're relying on, on you know, presets and out-of-the-box sort of software, then you're going to stay there and you won't be able to move. Because as, as I said, the visual effects industry, as good as it has become today and as advanced as it has become today, uh, at the same time, in order to really move on and compete and you know, uh, survive, you need to constantly understand and constantly update your knowledge with what tool sets are there out there. I mean, I usually, I usually, um, let's say within the week, if you will, maybe 20% of my time, even after 15 years of working on so many projects is dedicated fully and fully on updating myself, look around, look at the new software and try to constantly, uh, you know, be up to date with what is now happening out there and what sort of new technology is, is available. Uh, and to not to only rely on, I already know what I'm doing and I'm fine and I'm okay. I can sort of be in the easiest spot and continue. not at all. You need to constantly, constantly push if that makes sense. And don't give up. It absolutely don't give up. As I said, I came from a very, very uh, background that, you know, doing this was absolutely impossible. I mean, absolutely impossible, but you know, you go through the right channel and you, you work hard and you do a lot of hours and you have a vision and you have a target, you can absolutely reach that. It is absolutely possible. 
and even like to to piggyback off of that, like the right channels, like literally, uh, you know, there's a lot of you know, like I have a uh, mine who graduated and moved on to work into Marvel, but then you have also some other you know people that are trying to find the right channels. What do you think are the keys to finding the right channels? Like, what what do you think is that? You know, I I graduated actually as a concert pianist. That was that was what I studied. So it really had nothing to do with with computer graphics. Wow. Yeah. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> so wow. I had nothing to do with the with the computer graphics, but I must say the discipline that I had, the discipline that I you know had to have for studying a classical piano, that that probably was a key and and making what I am today. But so the, the right channels, uh, you know, there are. I mean, again, fifteen, ten years ago, uh, you had less of universities and you know academies that you could learn what you need to know for visual effects. Today, there are more. There are a lot of academies and uh, film schools that sort of offer the visual effects uh, foundation. But again, I want to be very clear that what you learn in an academy, and, and I think the ones that are really working in the world at, at the level that you need to, to, to sort of be, there maybe you can count them on one hand. There are not many of them that really offer that level and that discipline that you can go and learn visual effects properly. But even that is just a foundation. Like even if you have, you have uh, sort of successfully, um, you know, finished one of one of these, these high profile schools, let's say uh, at a company like Scanline or similar companies, uh, this is a very base foundation. So you can start as a junior and sort of make your, you know, make your way up because a lot of the work that you do, it really comes down with experience in the working environment. What the studios will give you, what the sort of the academies or the universities will give you is the foundation, but you need to sort of be in the, in the environment. You need to work on the, on the projects because it's a whole different things, a studio movie and a studio project than a school project or, you know, a university project. It's a very different, different process. So yes, you know, definitely go through the academies. I know they're very pricey these days and I can hundred percent tell you, you can learn um, the same thing if you have your self-discipline and if you are really willing to go through the whole process you can learn this at home with you know tutorials and you know a lot of sources are out there in the internet online courses that you can pay for it does not necessarily have to be an academy or does not necessarily have to be a university because i can guarantee you no visual effects studio in the world will give you a job because you have a degree that concept it might be something that you need for uh, law practices or, you know, in the medicine, but uh, uh, in, in, in visual effects, uh, it's not about the degree, not at all. It is about what you can offer and it's about your talent and it's about your skill sets that you can learn and in a university or you can learn at home through online courses and self-discipline that makes sense. Definitely. Now, do you have anything to add? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Jasper, good question, because it led into something that I definitely wanted to touch on. Uh, Mosin, again, thank you for joining us. Um, you know, as a as a, as an audio, uh, audio engineer and a uh, audio production uh, professional, you know, one of the one of the things that mainly pops out when you're dealing with somebody <clears throat> and doing a production ask you what tools that you're using. I want to kind of stray away from that and ask you what your focus were in two specific films that you were involved in. One, which is my favorite, 
Ninja Assassin. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, yes. Ninja Assassin was like one of those movies that just came out of nowhere. And I was just like, when I seen the previews, I was like, I got to see this. Totally in the Run Run Shaw flicks. Uh, anything that came on Channel 5 on Saturdays. So you got me there. So the parallel that I seen was from this. And when I learned that you were actually on the Dark Phoenix as well, doing the visuals, um, you can go back to one of our earlier podcasts. I had mentioned the fight scenes made the Dark Phoenix. Yes. And looking yeah. at the way how, how things were choreographed, the visuals, the panning, the revolving of the camera, what was your focus in these scenes? And are you a fan of comics and martial arts? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. So Ninja Assassins, I mean, back in the days with Wachowski Brothers, uh, that, was a, that was a big deal for us. And, you know, in, in that project, I was, uh, I was sort of a department supervisor back in the days. So I was overseeing um, what, what we call effects, which is, you know, it sort of becomes blood simulations in Ninja Assassins and that sort of work. Uh, but, you know, what was really interesting in Ninja Assassin, and I think the, the, the biggest thing that we did back in the days was that there's a sequence where they fight on top of a rooftop. It's a raining sequence, and you see sort of they're on top of a very high-rise building. It's a beautiful sequence, how to fight. And what you see around them, what you see around them, again, that's what I say, pushing the technology. What you see around them is probably, probably the biggest, the highest resolution matte painting ever has built in visual effects, even to this day. And I believe we are in the Guinness book record for that, if I'm not mistaken. I believe we applied. I'm not sure if it made it or not. But that, that matte painting at the time was, uh, I, believe, I believe, 125K. Again, imagine that a, a normal phone takes a 6K photo. In terms of resolution, that was 125K matte painting that was done digitally and then it was printed. But, you know, it was printed out. So they basically installed that on the set. So when you went on set, you had this city around you with such a detail, you could basically go close to that paper and see what is inside a window. It was that level of resolution. Uh, you know, nowadays you do the same thing with basically projecting that on, on LEDs so to be able to get the lighting of that. But, you know, uh, 15 years ago, that, that technology didn't exist. So we printed that on this massive, massive uh, panel around the set. And so they were able to throw rain in there on the set. And we, don't have to, we didn't have to worry about complexity of green screen and rain that, that becomes a thing. So that was, that was very challenging and exciting for everyone to be able to, to sort of do that level of innovation and level of, uh, you know, again, technology that didn't exist at the time. And now, again, it's very, very common these days. And as well as a Ninja Assassin, I remember uh, the blood simulations that we did, you know, something that, uh, yeah, yeah, you had a lot of blood on every shot and it needed to be all digitally created because Wachowski Brother, they wanted to have a very comical look to that. You know, that was interesting to make it look, it is, it's blood, it looks right, it, it sort of moves correctly, it has the right physics and dynamic, but at the same time, they can sculpt it, if you will, on every, every frame and every shot and every angle to make, to have that moment of, um, comical look, if you will, to be able to connect to that. So that was sort of Ninja Assassin's, um, I guess, memory I have. And then with the, with the, with the what we call internally Flay or the Dark Phoenix, uh, really interesting work. It was, it was done in a very short amount of time. Same thing, this was done with a different team. I had some consulting capacity in there, but I was working on Game of Thrones. This was done by a different team and some other of my colleagues. 
but you know, I know we spend a lot of time working on digital hair, and uh, there are a lot of shots, a lot of interesting shots where you know they shot the actors, and um, with their hair basically pulled up, and we had to add digital hair to get that very interesting comical look of hair flowing in the air. You know, as there's a sequence where both of them are sort of. Uh, talking and there's a transition happening around them into the environment. You see the entire room basically transitions away and you see both of them in sort of cosmos and the universe talking to each other. That was a very challenging sequence just to, uh, you know, be able to visualize that. I mean, usually in visual effects, when you talk about a movie like, let's say, San Andreas, where, where you're recreating reality, you're recreating a, you know, a damaged and destroyed San Francisco, the, the challenge is there to make it look photoreal. That is challenge number one. But when you're doing something that is not, you know, it's not real, like you're sort of making it up, especially in Marvel movies or the DC universe or, you know, uh, the dark universe. Uh, so if you're doing any of that, then the challenge before you actually get to make it photoreal is that what is it that we're trying to do? What is the look? So I remember, again, the sequence in Dark Phoenix where you see the entire room transitions away and you see both of them talking over a, a sort of beautiful setting around them of, you know, they're in the cosmos, they're, you know, in, in the space and they're talking to each other. So when you see that, it took a lot of time to, to go back and forth with the director and with the production company, give them iteration and iteration of concepts and different ideas to actually nail down what is that we're trying to do. And then that goes into 80% of the process. Once you have that, once you know what is it that we need to do and what is the look and what is the idea, the creative process, and then you get into making that looking real. But you know, in this scenario is that 80%, is the hardest thing to do to actually figure out what is the look to make this interesting and tell the story and then the, to make it real then that's really the last 20 percent i think dark phoenix had a lot of that had a lot of that sort of fantastical look uh, and it took a lot of effort on the team to figure out the look before we could actually go in and execute it yes oh, definitely definitely and, and and again hats off on on both those films like those are those are literally two of my favorites that I could say that, you know, if I had a playlist yeah, mine that too. I could just play movies that just had excellent quality that I could throw on my 4K TV, these are two of them. <laughs> so, but you know what, Doc? I'm glad you bring those films up because, like, Ninja Assassin, that's one film that sticks out in my head when I saw it in theaters saying, man, like, it's amazing how far movies have come. And you know what's funny? Here we are again, you know, saying... You know, he just said it, how it's amazing how things have changed in that time period. You know, I know, Mosin, you can't get in a in a, in a, in a time machine and, and call Marty and, and say, hey, I'm going to the year 2040 <laughs> to see what's going on. But, you know, like for you, you know, working in the in the, in the industry that you work in as a visual effects uh, specialist, like, like, how, like, how do you, I guess, break down? Uh, just the feelings you have of technology and where it's going in the film industry today? Well, I think that the, the big thing that is happening nowadays is, is AI and artificial intelligence and deep learning and machine learning. So uh, I know it's a lot of, lot of, lot of, uh, you know, mouthful, you know, phrase that they're always throwing around, but, you know, at the same time, this is really the core of what is going to happen in the next 10 years. If you look at five years ago, 
if we did a digital face replacement five years ago, or let's say even in in, uh, in the Fast Seven, was a company called Weta Digital in New Zealand uh, that sort of worked on the digital recreation of Powell Walker, right? And they spent a lot of time to to do that the classic way, but to perfection, meaning that you're really creating a digital face. It's a 3D face, and you go through the whole process. You spend it's it's an extremely technical technically complex process to sort of recreate that face in 3D and make sure it lines up with the, with the actual one-to-one. That's what it was, you know, a few years ago. Now you can actually see since a year and a half, we have what, what they call the deep fake where, you know, you see a lot of people that are really not in the visual effects industry that they're basically coming up with face replacement and you see it, you see them left and right coming and the quality is, is mind blowing. And this is, this is where that again, deep learning, machine learning and AI comes in place where it is changing the way we are working. I mean, I, 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 I bring this up because in a project I'm working right now, which I can mention what it is, um, we were looking into some face replacement. And the first thing came to my mind is, that, well, let's look into this deep fake because, you know, yes, we have a whole pipeline and a whole infrastructure to do an entire full digital face. But let's have a look into this new technology. So we went out there, we downloaded some of the software, we compiled some of the code that we found online. And, uh, and it's amazing because, uh, you know, if you didn't use those tools, we would be behind. We would be out of the game very soon. So the future is all about making what we do today easier. You've probably heard of rotoscoping. You've probably heard of the yeah. green screen. And I am very sure there are some, some technologies coming out that sort of eliminate that because I think rotoscoping and green screen is, is, a, is a prime example of a technology that got stuck in time and hasn't been really improved since 20 years, since 25 years, you know, since the, 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 the early days of advanced and digital visual effects, it has still been the case that you spend a lot of time manually rotoscoping and spending a lot of time on the green screen. And, and that's something that I believe within 10 years or you know, 15 years, it's gonna be out. So you're going to shoot movies without necessarily needing a green screen at all. And you can sort of have exact same, 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 same outputs out uh, down the road. That, you know, digital human, as I mentioned, that's sort of going entirely in a different direction. And the tools are changing so much on a daily basis. Um, you know, we have Irishman coming out that, you know, um, I've seen some of the footage and it's incredible that the aging that they have done on the actors. And, uh, and I read a few days ago that uh, Martin Scorsese mentioned that uh, this is, you know, this is going to sort of, probably remove the prosthetic uh, from the whole process because it's something that you can set up more control over it in the post. And, and, and this is already happening. We see a lot of that, a lot of what you call the, the invisible visual effects or invisible visual effect. You know, you have a lot of that, that these days you can't even tell unless you know you have worked on the project that, oh, this was visual effects and that wasn't real. And you get a lot of that more. I think also, I think what is important is that you're going to get more of the visual effects on projects that maybe today or five years ago, they would not afford to be able to do it, but because it's getting more accessible, because it's getting more spread, then I think in 15 years, there's more of that happening across the board. Like Game of Thrones is a great example. You know, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, if you wanted to do something like this on TV, you know, you had to do, uh, you have to pull a lot of strings to maybe have a few shots in your pilot that had amazing visual effects. Uh, but, you know, when you see the level of quality of Game of Thrones, how far these guys went, 
And the level, like what, what do you get out of it? It's, it's no difference, if not better than the high end Marvel projects or, you know, Warner projects. So, and this is only doable because of the innovation and technology. Uh, and, you know, it just made it more accessible. Right. And I think that's going to be, we we'll see more of that in the next 10 years. Absolutely. That is wonderful. That, that is so much. I think I'm more impressed because you came from. <laughs> so just like, how? Over to that part. But I'm more interested. I have a question. on Young boy in Iran. How was that prepared? That prepared you. What drove you? So you, this may have been like a, oh, I'm here, but from <laughs> your upbringing, or that comes yeah, so, <laughs> interesting question. I appreciate you asked that question. So, I I got my first computer at the age of eight. I think that was a Amiga Amiga five hundred, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, wow. 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 <laughs> We've come a long way, yes. Wilson. <laughs> believe it or not, I'm serious. Believe it or not, we, we went to a grocery store with my dad and we were buying groceries. And you know, you know, remember it was potatoes and onions, and somewhere in the middle there was an Amiga. It wasn't actually a computer store because we didn't have that back in the days in the hometown where that was where I was born. It, it was someone, you know, I think the owner bought that in some other countries and he had it there. He was sort of setting it as a second hand in some of, you know, in grocery store. So we sort of bought my first computer in a shop as we were buying some potatoes and, 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 and onions. And we bought my first computer. So I came home with it and, and I fell in love with it. And, uh, and I remember I earned my first hundred dollars let's say at least comparison to what we have today at the age of 10 i did a little commercial that used some of the basic tools that amiga 500 uh, was a tool called demo maker that you could do basic lego design and logo design and logo sort of animation so i did that and i earned my first money and then at the age of 14 i was able with two friend of mine a director and a programmer we sort of came up with the first computer game we wrote our own game engine and uh, it was in two languages. It had a lot of material content, but unfortunately, because in Iran, you didn't have the copyright at the time. So no one was interested in financing it. So when that went out of the window after a lot of effort and, you know, we all sort of got uh, carried away into something else. So I got more interested into the music at the time. I went and I studied music. I, you know, did a lot of piano. It was a hobby at the time. And then it became more serious. And then I went to Russia. I went to Russia to study music. And it's funny because um, I, I think at the uh, you know uh, year three I was living with uh, with with a, with a friend in a, in a, in a, in a, in a you know we had an apartment together, and he had he had a computer and at the time I was just using it for emailing you know he had a computer and one day I found that he had a version of the tool that is not very used in the visual effects called Three Studio Max, and I used to use the version one in my days and he now had version five and I saw, oh my God, within like this 10 years, so much has changed and so many new features and so many new things that was just not available at the time. So I got again interested into it. So what happens is that by the end of my study, I was spending, at the beginning, I was doing 10 hours a day piano. I was practicing 10 hours a day and maybe I spent five minutes in the computer writing some emails. By the end of my study, I was doing 10 hours computer and, and maybe a few hours of piano. So I sort of, my interest carried away and went more into the computer again. And my midwife, wife, she's German in, you know, in Russia. And then we sort of uh, got married and I 
been to Germany and I sort of had the opportunity then to sort of explore more uh, and so on and so on. <laughs> the rest is history. <laughs> Wow. That's pretty awesome. That's, That's pretty a awesome story. <laughs> I was just about to say, you, you, you know, as soon as you meet your significant other, you know, a lot of that creative time it, it gets chopped down. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> okay. Who is your favorite? Uh, what's your closer? Well, you know, um, it's it's really not one of them, but it's Bach is is my favorite. You know. Yeah, absolutely. Bach and you know, when you study in Russia, there's a lot of lot of Rachmaninoff and Tchaikovsky and Mussorgsky, and uh, you, know, you sort of deal with that a lot. But again, I I was lucky to to move to Germany and I lived in there, and and you're sort of surrounded by by the the, the German three, if you will, Brahms, Beethoven, and Bach, and you see a lot of that. So yeah, Bach is amazing, absolutely. And my wife is a musician. She's a she's a She's a soprano singer and a, a, a flutist. So, yeah. So, we have a lot of music going on at home. Absolutely. That's oh, wow. wow. <laughs> definitely, we'll definitely have to look around. <laughs> definitely. What, which part of uh, Germany did you say you were in? I, I lived in Stuttgart and I lived in Berlin. So, basically, in Berlin, we were in an area called um, Babelsberg, which is close to the Studio Babelsberg. And Studio Babelsberg is the place where they shot Ninja Assassins. They also shot um, the Inglorious Bastard from Quentin Tarantino. There's a street in there that is very close to where I live that is not called Quentin Tarantino Street. Um, so, yeah, so in that area. That's pretty awesome. That is awesome. Uh, the reason why I asked, as, as a kid, uh, my family and I, we, we lived in uh, uh, Noyon. This was uh, right before, just right before and after the Berlin Wall came down. Were you, were, were you there around that time? In, in where? In which city? Uh, I, I was living in uh, Neu-Ulm. It's spelled N-E-U-U-L-M. Oh, I see. Is, is that an area in Berlin? Am I right? Uh, it's actually not that far from Stuttgart. There's a very famous church uh, that, that's close to there. It's called the Munster. Neu-Ulm. Ulm, right? U-L-M. Yes. Oh, yes. yes. Well, you know, Ulm is, is, is it has this, this uh, I don't know about the Neu-Ulm, but I know Ulm itself that has this beautiful, amazing, uh, you know, church in the in the center um i haven't been to new Ulm, but i've been to Ulm. now in terms of the you know the, the whole wall and collapsing uh, you know and all of that uh it, it's a subject very dear to my heart i mean this is out of work what i do is all about second world war and i read books and i watch documentaries and it's something that i've been like personally very passionate about ask me what are my you know top three movies of all time they're all second world war movies <laughs> list that is you know that's the number one and um yeah no it is it has been very interesting to 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 talk to my to my uh in-laws about all of that period and uh it's a very fascinating uh you know history yeah yeah awesome yeah. And as, go ahead jingle oh no 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 you please i was about to say you know and i know we we've Asked you a lot. You know, Joker just recently came out. And uh, that's a film that, you know, we see that Skyline was a part of as well. Uh, did you have a role in working with Joker? So my, my the closest thing I had to Joker is that uh, my best friend, Lisa Dwork, uh, his name is Matthew Giampa, and he was a visual effects supervisor. And uh, then I must say, I give them so much credit because I knew that they were working on that. And, uh, you know, 
when you're working in the skyline, you could poke around and you could look at all the projects. They're all on the server. You're in the same company. So I remember seeing the, 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 one of the early edits, uh, sections of the early edits, uh, but everything is green. And, and when I went to the movie and I watched it last weekend, I love the movie, by the way. I thought it was amazing. It's visually stunning. I couldn't tell the part that we did, and that's always the best thing. And if you can't tell what we have done, what part was visual effects and what part was real. Uh, so I think that, you know, the guys at the Scanner did a phenomenal job. Uh, so they worked on, the, on, on all of the set extensions, basically, when you see the, the Gotham. Um, it's basically was shot in New York, but obviously it needs to sort of look like that, the classic 50s or 60s of New York. So it is, it is, um, uh, it's a lot of work has gone into it to, to, to make sure that when you watch the movie, you're not pulled out of the story. And that's really, that's really the challenge. So when you watch it, you're not pulled out of the story. And believe me, there are a lot of movies I go watch, which I have visual effects. And the moment you see something that is not in the right place, even for a split of a second, it pulls you out of the story, right? If you know the set extension didn't look right, or obviously that was a visual effects shot because it wasn't executed very well. And that's my biggest fear, that when I work on a sequence, when I work on a project, that you want to make sure that you don't have that moment, that someone's going to look at it and say, oh, that's obviously a bad visual effects, you know? And then the moment you have that, you go out of it. Now, Game of Thrones, why was it so tricky, is that, we spend a lot of time. We spend a lot of time. We even, I mean, you don't believe that we even do testing that you sort of show some material to some of the colleagues and you, people who are not involved in the project and you ask them if they can tell what is real and what is not. And if they can, then you sort of double think it. And it really the goal is to make sure that it, it's so seamless that it can't. Obviously, a flying dragon is, you know, visual effects that's not real. But there are a lot of shots in Game of Thrones, a lot of set extension, a lot of sort of invisible effects that you can't tell unless, unless you're looking at a breakdown. Or obviously it's a damaged red keep behind them and that's not real. But there's a lot of more in there that, that you can't tell unless you really look at the before and after and say, oh, that was visual effects. And I think that, that was perfect in Joker. That was absolutely mind-blowing what the guys did. Yeah, again, Mosin, thank you very much for doing this. Guys, have any more questions? Because I got a lot of gems from this conversation. Lots of gems. I I think um I think I may have one last one. Um, uh, Red Tails is uh something that I had a uh, research machine that you had a part in. So uh, one of my favorites about the three thirty second, which uh was the Tuskegee Airmen. Uh, how was it being a part of this historical representation? And um, as far as your work that was tied into it, what can you say that you stand back and look at and marvel and say, this is my favorite part that I was included in? Yeah, no, absolutely. One of the first projects, like before we got into it, one of the first projects that we worked on, a company called Pizzamundo in Germany, called the Red Baron. And Red Baron is a story of a first World War pilot. It's sort of one of the very few German movies, or even any movie that sort of uh, celebrates a German hero during the war, right? Uh, the whole history of that. So uh, we made, and then George Lucas had Red Tails as his sort of ambitious personal project for a very long time. 
when he saw Red Baron, when he saw what we did with Red Baron, he sort of fell in love with the visuals. And he sort of, I think that was one of the reasons that triggered him to go back to that project and take it out of the shelf and, uh, you know, work on that work. So he sort of came back to Fix Mundo and uh, we showed him a lot of the material from Red Baron and how we did, the, how, how the process was, how we shot it and uh, how the visual effects was done. So that sort of laid the foundation for Red Tails. Then we got involved with 70% of the visual effects on Red Baron. And I, I was connected to that because it had to do with um, with the issues of diversity at the time. And coming from a different country, coming from a different religious, um, I related to it a lot in terms of, uh, you know, being excited that A, it was a war movie, B, it was, uh, it was uh, you know, final film, the last film from George Lucas, which, you know, was also exciting to be part of, it, as well as it kind of celebrated celebrated uh, the diversity that uh, had a lot of problems back in the days. And I, I, I emotionally really connected that. So it was, it, was, it was a blast working on that, even though we did a lot of action you know, sequences and uh, not necessarily emotional shots, but really action sequences. But I thought that the setting, and uh, again, knowing that this is George Lucas's last film, it sort of gave it an extra push to everyone to really put their best into action to make sure that we can, we can sort of stand proud at the end. It was an interesting project, absolutely. Thank you for that. And, uh, you know, thank you for all your contributions. Um, you know, coming coming to us, uh, Reels and Popcorn, and, um, you know, know, sharing these experiences with us. Absolutely. My pleasure. It was a really fun talk. Absolutely. Guys. Absolutely. Oh, this is great. We look forward to seeing more of your wonderful, extraordinary work. Again, congratulations on the Emmy win. Very, very, very well deserved. Earned. It was beautiful. Um, what did you do? What did you do when you when you received it? Like, what celebratory events did you did you do? At home with wife, like we did it, or did you just say, okay, that's great, go to bed, start on next project in the morning? No, you know, as I said at the beginning, is that you don't you don't work towards that. You're trying to just make it look as good as you can. And uh, it was very surreal to go up the stage and. I received that, that award. And I remember when I went to the hotel that night and I sort of, after all of the, the you know, glamour, I uh, was at the hotel and I was alone with the, with the, with the Amy and, and I remember. Glad <laughs> 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 you asked this question. Like, glad you asked this question because um, I looked at the thing at two in the morning and, and I felt blessed. I felt blessed that I, I got a chance on winning this at the age of 38 and maybe not at the age of 60 or 70 because uh, it's sort of, you, you take that off your list. And it, 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 it makes you a bit more quiet because you don't want to run for it for 60 years and, you know, sacrifice your entire family and kids and friends and everything to sort of get there. And then to learn that if you did really that and you, throw everything out of the window to get that one thing. Maybe it wasn't worth it. So I'm glad that I, it happened to me at the age of 38. And it's a great honor, amazing honor. But at the same time, again, I'm glad that this happened at that time so that I can take that off my list and sort of come back and maybe spend more time with friends. And sort of, it, it gives you a different perspective of life. It gives you a, 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 a very different aspect of the way I work every day. 
And not that it made me work less, not at all, other way around. It's sort of, um, it, it, it's hard to explain. <laughs> but it was an interesting moment I had at two in the morning in the hotel looking at the award after all of this glamour. <laughs> that is awesome. I, that just feels, that's such an honest answer because I've always wanted to ask that. When you win an award of, like, of that height, you know, what, what goes through your mind? What do you have? So to say at 2 a.m. in the morning, you're looking at this award like, wow. I really did this. We really did this. That is amazing. Well, congratulations again. Very well deserved. Bills and Popcorn, we want to give you a huge thank you for coming to our, what we call theater, and actually um, sitting down with us to talk about your amazing work. We are very much appreciative. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. And wonderful questions. And it was an entertaining talk. Thanks a lot. Thank you, Definitely. thank you. Well, I think that concludes our podcast, uh, guys. And um, so, all you listeners out there, thank you so much. I hope you were able to pick up the gems as much as we have. It was a great talk. Please, please, if you have not, go check out all his films that he's been over. Check out his IMDb. He has a whole list of work that is just phenomenal. Each and every last one of them. And we look forward to more work from you. Thank you so much, Mark. Thank you, guys. Bye-bye, thank you.